Good morning. You guys can grab a seat. Kiddos, you guys are dismissed to Children's Church. Everyone else, if you will grab your Bibles, open with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're going to be. Uh, everybody good? Mike, you good? That was a big old yawn right there. You all right? I'll, I'll be watching you now. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Now, as we get started, let me ask a quick question. Because uh, this has happened to me quite a few times. How many people have been in a place or situation where you know straight out of the gate you don't belong here? Yeah? Was it a good situation or a bad situation? We're all friends here. Right. It was bad. Carlton, I know it was bad. So the, the, one of the main times when I was thinking through this was that we have some really generous family members that um, every, every couple Christmases, they'll send us down to a really swanky hotel in Atlanta. We get to have breakfast with Santa. We get to go down, have a VIP section in the parade. It's fantastic. Um, but <laughs> you're going to make fun of me. It's okay. Uh, I was, it was three years ago before my car had ever been valet parked. Right? I'm just, I'm, I'm not that guy. We're really simple. I've had this shirt for four years. That's the kind of life that we live, right? So we're going down. We're trying to get to Atlanta as quick as we can. We fly into valet parking. Of course, like we're late. We're late to everything. We have four kids. Um, so we just go through a drive through probably McDonald's. Um, get over yourself. McDonald's is great. Everyone's ashamed of McDonald's. It's good stuff. That's why we go there. That's why they're successful. So there's fries and bags and trash everywhere. So pull into the hotel and the guy's like, hey, you can, you can hop out. I'll park your car for you. I'm like, nah, bro, you can't come into the explosion that is our minivan right now. Uh, I'll, I'll park myself. He's like, no, sir, literally you have to get out of the car. You, you can't park your car. And the shame that came with having to get out of our vehicle and let him in. And he's, <laughs> I kid you not, he opened the back door and said, stopped and turned around and said, sir, would you like us to get your trash? Yeah, that would be great, actually. That would be awesome. So uh, he gets all of our trash, takes the car down. So then we have to walk through the hotel lobby. I can't even remember the name of the hotel it was, but had to walk through the lobby, and there's people everywhere dressed to the nines, and here's our kids. I mean, McDonald's mustard down their shirt. We're just a hodgepodge of North Georgia rednecks walking through this hotel. Get checked in, go to our room. I'm like, all right, man, I'm going to be a fun dad. We made it here, parades tomorrow. Let's call up to room service. Hey, can I get four cookies and two glasses of milk? $75 later, my kids have four cookies and two glasses of milk. Just out of my element. Then the next day, we go to breakfast with Santa, and we're literally sitting like table to table with all the Channel 2 news anchors. It was horrifying. The entire process, I'm just like, I don't belong here. I don't belong here. I don't belong here. Get me out of here. I don't belong here. Kids, get in the car. Let's go. It's a clean car now. Isn't that awesome? Let's go, right? That was whole, But here's the funny thing. We go back the next year, and now that I know what to expect, I'm like, here you go. Here, bro, here's my keys. Go ahead and clean up my car for me, right? Walk in like I own the place. The next year, I mean, it was like, man, this is home, right? This is our place. And here's, here's why I tell you all that. Here's what we're going to see this morning. My fear when it comes to faith is that we are supposed to be pilgrims, aliens, sojourners here. 
That we should not ever feel like we belong here on planet Earth. We should always be looking forward to, for us, it was getting back to the mountains where people didn't judge us for being rednecks, right? But for us, we should be always waiting till eternity. But just for us, the more we kept going to this hotel, the more comfortable we felt being there. And my fear is, and it happens for me, so I'm assuming it happens for us, the longer we live here on this planet, the more comfortable we become. And there's a direct correlation between comfort in this place on planet Earth and lack of faith. That the more comfortable we become here, the, lack, or the, the steepness of faith drops off for us. So I just want to keep that in mind as we go through that we're called to be pilgrims and sojourners and aliens here. And that will help bolster our faith. So Hebrews 11, we're going to pick it up in verse 8. 8 through 12 with that kind of mindset. 8 through 12. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Let's pray that God would illuminate the truths of Scripture in our hearts. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time together we get to read, study, reflect be encouraged by and sharpened by your word. Now, Spirit, would you speak to us this morning? Would you illuminate the truths that we need to hear and apply in our lives? Thank you for the freedom that we have that we can gather. We can read your word in public, in a public facility, and we can all live better lives because of it. It's your name we pray. Amen. Now, we're going through Hebrews 11. We're going through the entire book, but Hebrews 11 specifically, most of us have probably heard this called the Hall of Faith, right? I mean, these are the who's who's as far as who's lived out in the idea of faith. But we got to remember why this is written. Why did the author include Hebrews 11 in the context of Hebrews? It was because the people of God that this was written to in Rome were losing their faith drastically. That because of some of the hardships that they had gone through and because of the suffering that's coming in the future, not because they were no longer welcome in their Jewish homes, but they weren't really welcome in Rome, all these factors just made these people of God really just their faith was running out. And so the author of Hebrews wrote this section to encourage them into their faith, to bolster them in their faith. Hey, do you remember the stories of old? Be encouraged by this. And he's very specific, including Abraham. One, because Abraham is the man. I mean, he is the guy that really kicked off a lot of our faith. But what these people of God were saying was, man, what if we just went back to our Jewish roots? What if we went back to our Jewish customs and worshipped no longer Jesus Christ, but worshipped primarily Abraham and his faith? And so the author is going, no, no, I'm going to show you why Abraham's faith was not in himself, but was in God alone. If the readers think, if the original readers think that they can reject Christ to embrace Abraham, they are mistaken. Embracing Christ is, in fact, to walk in accord with Abraham. 
And so the author is intending for them to be encouraged to grow in their faith. And the same for us. We are to be encouraged and grown in our faith. And Hebrews 11.1, if you'll just go back a few verses, gives a very clear, succinct definition of what faith is. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. So what we've said historically is as we're going through Hebrews 11, we're going to look at different characters, uh, different ancestors in the faith, and they're all living by faith. They're all walking by faith, but each week we're going to be able to see a different aspect, a different component of faith that's going to really help us tie all this back together for our good and for God's glory. And last week, as we got started, I just had to clarify real fast that if you were to Google faith, faith is going to come up as a noun, not as a verb. And so we have to kind of walk this juxtaposition because faith is, in fact, a noun. It is a subject. It is a person, namely God himself. So faith is God. God is the ultimate faithful one. So where do we place our faith in a subject, in an object, in a person that is the Godhead? But it's also a verb, right? It is an action. It causes us to do something with what we know now. So one of the things that we're gonna, I'm going to leak a little bit this morning, as we keep going over the next couple of weeks, this theme is going to become more and more developed, is this initial question is where does faith come from? Like Where does faith come from? If we're supposed to be the faithful, if we're looking at all these examples of by faith, Abraham did this, Sarah did this, Noah did this, uh, by faith, Abel did this, what is the faith? Where does that actually come from for us? Because what I don't want to do is have this theoretical conversation that we go home and just pontificate about, right? I want us to have a boots on the ground. When we walk out of here this morning, we're encouraged by the faith of our ancestors and we do something with it. We're bolstered in the faith of God himself, the subject, the noun, and then we go walk in obedience. We walk in the truth, the verb. So where does faith come from? The first thing that we see is Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So where does faith come from? Hearing these stories, studying the scriptures, being disciplined to spend time in the word. Now, real quick, and this is not for shame, I just want to throw this out there to see where we are. In January, we started the chronological Bible reading. If anyone is on track today, raise your hand. Look at you guys. My hand was raised to incite raising of, I'm not on track, but I'm close. I don't want to lie up here. So we had five, six people. That's encouraging. So, so this is why the church is pressing this so much, because we have to have faith through here, and we have to know the stories. We have to be convicted of the truths of Scripture. But then Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 would give us maybe a different view of where faith comes from. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. In this faith is not of your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we see that faith comes from hearing, yes, but faith is also a gift that God receives or gives us. So we received as a free, gracious gift of God faith, the faith to believe. 
So faith comes from hearing, that's active. Faith comes from receiving, it's passive. But faith grows, it strengthens by doing it. By walking in clear obedience to what God has called us to do. And that's what we're going to see. So um, I just want to give this brief sentence that's going to set us up for the text this morning and ask three simple questions that we're going to ask over and over and over again. By faith means... We consider the faithful, the faithful one, his promises and eternity, and walk in obedience in light of those three things, regardless of what happens here on earth. Let me repeat it one more time. By faith, we consider the faithful one, his promises and eternity, and walk in obedience in light of those three things, regardless of what happens here on earth. So in light of that, there's three massive questions that we have to answer to grow in our faith. Who is God? What did he say? And what is your focus? Who is God? What did he say? And where is your focus? If we can answer these three things, we will grow in our faith. And we see this clearly broken out in uh, 8 through 11, 8 through 12, excuse me. So with all that being said, let's look again at verse 8. Uh, Because this text conveniently breaks into two different places. We're going to look at the faith of Abraham and the faith of Sarah. Now, we'll pick it up in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called. Now, here's what we're going to see over and over again through the life of Abraham. God spoke, he did. There is zero delay in the life of Abraham. When he hears God speak, he walks. It's one of the things, if you were at family reunion last week, that you heard us talk about in our parenting philosophy, that we tell our kids all the time, delay in obedience is no obedience. You do what I say right away. That's kind of our mantra. And even little Carly, because she doesn't really understand, that's a lot of words for a four-year-old. So we'll just simply say, how many times does mommy and daddy have to tell you something? One time. So we walk in obedience. When we speak, we expect our, parents, our kids to respond. In the same way, every time we see God speak to Abraham, Abraham responds right away. That's what true faith does. And in fact, the Septuagint, which is the Greek version, Greek translation of the Old Testament, puts it this way. That Abraham was setting on his journey while the word of God was still ringing in his ears. I love that. That while he was still chewing and processing on what God said, he's walking. He's already moving. He's going. Now, it's important for us to understand because we don't see a ton of where Abraham came from. We know him as Father Abraham, many sons, right? VBS kids, it's stuck in your head for the rest of the service. You're welcome. So we understand a little bit about Abraham's life, but what about his conversion? How did he actually come to faith in God? How did he trust God? Because we understand that he came from Ur. Now, we don't know a ton about Ur, but we know that it was advanced in writing, math, educational facilities, and business. But it was also deeply dark and satanic. It was a deeply dark, worldly place. And so we can just safely assume that if Abraham was born and raised in this environment, he was not coming from an environment that fostered God at all. He was coming from a very pagan society. And we can see this. Joshua 24, 2 puts it this way. 
And Joshua said to all the people, Thus the Lord says, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived before the Euphrates, Terah the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. So it wasn't like Abraham had an environment like a lot of us had where we heard the gospel taught over and over again. We understood the commands of God, the law of God. This was pre-law, first off, but this was also an incredibly pagan society that Abraham was raised in. But even in that, when God called, Abraham obeyed because he lived a life marked by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called, let's keep reading, to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Now, we did this last week. I'm going to do it again this week. Um, Keep one finger in Hebrews. Go back to Genesis 12. We're going to be all over Genesis this morning because we have to see and understand these stories. But Genesis 12 is where this inheritance idea comes from, that Abraham was to go out to receive this land as an inheritance. So while the, ear, the voice of God is ringing in his ears, Abraham is walking. In Genesis 12, we'll pick it up at verse 1, is what was ringing in his ears. Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. All right, now stop real quick. To the land that I will show you. Let's translate that today. Hey, I have something for you. Go out the store and just start driving. Get in your car, start driving. Where? I'll tell you. Just start driving. North, south, east, bro, just start driving. I'll call you. Trust me. How many is going to follow that bet? Thanks, man. One person. I wouldn't follow that bet. He's got more faith in me than I have in me, right? So Genesis 12, 1, 4, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred spirit and your father's house to the land that I will show you, verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And you and all families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse 4, here's where we see this instant obedience. So Abraham went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So God speaks. He takes God at his word because of the subject, the noun of who God is, the faithful one, and he starts walking. No clear destination, no clear future, just starts walking by faith. Now go back to Hebrews 11, at the end of verse 8, it reiterates some of this. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He just starts walking not knowing where he was going. Now, again, let's just kind of keep this in mindset. Faith is not of this world. So in this world where we are now comfortable, where we're no longer aliens and sojourners, but we feel comfortable here, this is totally countercultural to the way that we live. I'm not going to start going till I know the future. I'm not going to start this career till I know I'm going to make. I'm not going to pursue this thing until I know it's safe for me and my family. We have all these justifications and rationalizations in our mind, but that is contrary to what we see Abraham doing. He went out not knowing where he was going. 
By faith, Abraham beheld something that was coming, but he never saw the fulfillment of those promises and the fruitful land and vast descendants. So he starts walking, but he never actually sees it. He never actually settles. Let's keep reading in verse 9. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. In tents. In tents Abraham lived all the days of his life. Abraham, by faith, heard the voice of God, starts walking, not knowing where he's going. God says, hey, I'm going to give you an inheritance. I'm going to give you all this land. Trust me. So he does. He walks. But Abraham has nothing. I mean, when you stop and think about this, the only land that Abraham ever owned was Sarah's tomb. I mean, have we considered this about the patriarch of our faith? That the only land that Abraham ever owned was Sarah's tomb. And we see this clearly in Genesis 23. Trust me, I'm God. You have an inheritance, you have a land, start walking. He gets there, uncomfortable, live in tents, never quite secure his entire life. But by faith, we celebrate what he did. Now, what made this possible for Abraham? How was this a reality for him by faith? Well, great question, and and verse 10 answers that perfectly. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That he had his eyes set on higher things than what this world could offer. That our faith is going to be no faith at all if we only walk into what we can see, understand, taste, feel, and benefit from. That is not faith. We see this clearly through Abraham. That Abraham lived in tents. Tents do not rest on foundations, but foundations imply permanence. But we spend so much time in our life focusing on the permanence of here and now. And very little time thinking of the permanence that lasts in eternity with him. There are two important things that we need to see out of this passage. One, the city that God's built is eternity with him. It is heaven. It's eternally secure, unshakable, and cannot be destroyed. But the second thing we see is that Abraham walked by faith by setting his hope on the fact that God would act and bring about salvation. That he followed him, he walked after him for the uh, hope and focus of eternity, salvation with God forever. Now in light of these hard decisions that Abraham had to do, that he had to walk, set up tent for the rest of his life, never actually see the promises of God come into fruition, his hope was on God's word coming true. In other words, Abraham was faithful in the present because of what what he hoped God would do in the future. He was faithful in the present because of what he hoped God would do in the future. So what does this mean for our faith today? How much are we living today based on what we understand God will do in the future? How much are we living, doing, acting, believing, behaving, walking in today because of what God will do in the future? Or are we? Can you point to one thing that you say, I would not have done this, I would not walk in this, I would not do this, unless 
God is going to, we have a better hope in him. Unless there's an eternal city of permanence that is unshakable, unquenchable, undestroyable that we're going to be in one day. And I'm putting my rewards there, not here. Can we answer one thing that we would do? And so we see Abraham by faith walk out into and never actually receive it, never actually get it. But then we get to see the other piece of that pie by looking at Sarah. Look with me at verse 11, Hebrews 11, 11. And make sure you have Genesis marked because we are going. By faith, Sarah herself. Now let me stop real quick just to make some clear distinctions here. I don't do this too often, but there can be some translation issues time after time. It's, it's, it's sinful men that are doing their best to translate scriptures based on what they see in the original manuscripts. But there are other translations that would differ on this specific part. By faith, Sarah herself received power. And there are three uh, New Testament scholars, F.F. F. Bruce, Leon Morris, and Simon uh, Kistmaker, who would disagree with the way that this is translated because it's an implausibility because the phrase received power to conceive literally is power for the deposition of spe- sperm and seed. So what this actually should be better translated by is by faith, Abraham, also together with Sarah, received power to beget a child when he was past age, since he counted him faithful, who had promised. So what we're not claiming here, where this scripture and this translation can lead us to believe, is that Mary was the only one with virgin birth, right? We clearly see that Mary, virgin birth, Jesus Christ, that's the whole narrative of the Christmas story, and it's important because it was inspired through the Holy Spirit. So what we clearly see here is this is not a second virgin birth, that Abraham and Sarah together received power to conceive. Does that make sense? Sound good? It literally comes down to one accent mark in the Hebrew. That's where all of this comes down to is literally one accent mark in the Hebrew. So by faith, Sarah and Abraham received power to conceive even when she was past age. Sarah received power to conceive as an old woman. I didn't say that. Scripture said that, all right? Don't get mad at me. I'm not putting what... Scripture says this. Since, and here's how this takes place. Since she considered him faithful who had promised. Since she considered him faithful who had promised. She took God at his promises at face value and believed it. Just like Abraham heard the voice of God still ringing in his ears as he's walking, Sarah hears the voice of the God and believes it and walks in it. So to understand this story a little bit better, let's go back to Genesis 17. And we'll see the progression of this. Because here's, here's my favorite part. Here's my free commentary, right? I really believe at some capacity that Sarah is calling God's bluff. It seems in that capacity that Sarah is calling God's bluff. If you can do it, do it. I don't believe you, but I do believe you. If you, if you can do it, do it. That's fine. If, if you want to make me pregnant, sure, you go for it. That's cute. That's funny. And God says, all right, if you think I can do it, I think you can do it, God. All right, watch this. This is the tone that we see here. We pick it up, Genesis 17 We're going to start in verse 19. God said, No, but Sarah your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name 
Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. But, verse 21, I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Next year, Sarah. You've been impossible to conceive for 90 plus years. Next year you're going to conceive. And you can just kind of hear Sarah. I mean, just, just a little bit of sass, a little bit of like, all right, God, we'll see. I mean, you say you can do it, do it. I'm right here. Make it happen. Let's go to Genesis 18. One chapter over, we'll pick it up in verse 9. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he, Abraham, said, she is in the tent. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah is listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. See, I just say it, Bible said it. Old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Fancy way to say all of that stuff has turned off down there. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you, and this time next year, Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. God said, no, but you did laugh. I just, we've talked about that before. I love that part. No, but you did laugh. But you can see what faith looks like. Faith is ridiculous. There should be things that God calls us to do, and we laugh about it. We go, there, there's just no way. God, there's no way that that could ever happen the way that you say it's going to happen. It's laughable. And God's going to say, did you laugh? And we go, no, I, I didn't laugh. I, I'm here. And he's going to go, no, bro, you laughed. Like, like that should be said of us. Flip with me over to Genesis 21, the fruition of this entire story. Genesis 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. I mean, you could underline that, put brackets around that. This is what faith is. The Lord visited Sarah as he said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. A hundred years old. And Sarah said, God who has, God has made laughter for me, everyone who hears will laugh over me. And he said, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah would nurse children, yet have borne him a son in his old age. So literally, the name Isaac means laughter. The name Isaac means laughter. So Sarah laughed at the fact that God was going to give her a son. And it happened. And she's going, everyone's going to laugh about this because there's no other way this would have ever taken place if it wasn't apart from God. But by faith, Sarah believed. Now go back with me to Hebrews 11. We're going to read verse 12. 
It summarizes this story for us very similarly to how verse 10 did. Hebrews eleven twelve. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, conventional wisdom would say not possible, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now here's what happened. How did Abraham, how did Sarah, how did this take place? They weighed the human impossibility of becoming a father and a mother against the divine impossibility of God being able to break his promises and decided that since he is God, nothing is possible. Nothing is impossible. So when we start to walk in faith, we're all going to come to this point in the road. He weighed the human impossibility. Is this humanly possible? On the other side, can God actually break his promises? Can God break his word? This is what the juxtaposition looks like. When we talk about walking by faith, this is the decision that we come to. When we come to this fork in the road, we're going to know if we're going to be walking by faith, the saying God cannot lie, or by walking by sight. This just makes no sense. I'm going to keep walking in this direction. This is what by faith looks like. Can God lie? Should I stay safe? Can God break his word or shall I pursue my own ideas? So there again, let's look at this definition as we start to close out. By faith means that we consider the subject, the faithful one, his promises, his truths in eternity and walk in obedience in light of these three things regardless of what happens here on earth. So church, if we want to grow, if we want to walk by faith, the first question that we must answer, who is God? If we want to walk by faith, we have to have the certainty of the faithful one. Who is God? Do you consider him faithful? Do you consider him loving? Do you consider his promises true? Do you understand his character, his nature, his love for you, his supremacy over all things? Who is God? Secondly, what did he say? What did he say? What has he commanded over us? What has he told us to be true in the scriptures? I mean, here's just an easy one that I just keep wrestling with. You will be my witnesses. You will be a city on the hill. You will be my witnesses all across the globe. So, I mean, just true confession, evangelism is not my bag, man. I, don't, I, I wish it was. I can stand up here and yell at you guys for an hour, but to go share the gospel on the street, it's just, it's hard for me. Anyone else? It just doesn't come natural. And so by faith, I'm starting to walk into this process of if God said it is true, if God says his word will not return back null and void, if God says that this is why he's designed me to be the glorification, to, to shine his glory across, then I just need to start walking in it. I just need to have these conversations. By faith, I opened up my mouth to the cashier at Home Depot. And, and we see clearly that Abraham walked by faith. Not everything came into the picture. 
The the foundations were not poured. The promised land was not given to him. That he wasn't in charge of the results. God was, but he just walked in it by faith. Do we know the truth of Scripture enough to go, I should be walking in this. I just haven't. Do we know what he's asked us to do? And lastly, is our focus eternal? Maybe an easier way to say that. Are your results are you results driven or faith driven? Are you practically thinking through life? Are you looking through life through the lenses of faith? Are you asking the hard questions, walking in that regardless of what this looks like for here on earth? Now, now let me talk about this real quick. I'm just going to press in and then we'll be done. Everyone here, and, and I hope, and as we should, rips into the prosperity gospel, right? Health, wealth, prosperity. I mean, if you follow Jesus, everything's going to go great for you. Nothing's going to go bad for you. You just follow Jesus. He's going to get you a Gulf Stream. You're going to have the best health ever. All the money that you could want, dollar, dollar bills, y'all. Follow Jesus and get it. And we have the discernment enough to go, no, that's, that's nonsense. That's not what Scripture teaches us. But don't we get the most frustrated with God when that doesn't happen for us? When God takes the money away from us? When God takes the health of us or our friends or family away from us? When we don't get the prosperity, when we don't get the White House with the picket fences? Is it that when we get most frustrated with God? So although we would say we don't believe in prosperity gospel, some of our deepest anguishes against God the Father are centered around this idea of prosperity. Give me my things. Now, we would never say that, but tangibly, you look at our life, and that's what it looks like. So when we start to think through faith, viewing things not results-driven, but faith-driven, the eternity, the foundations are laid in heaven. That's where our prize is. That's where our future is. Regardless of what happens here, we start to see the shift because we see clearly that Abraham was a pilgrim. Abraham had no place to lay his head forever. Does that sound familiar? Jesus was a sojourner. During his ministry, he had no place to lay his head. But I think there's a ton of fruit here for us to glean from. Because could it be that we want to walk by faith as long as we get Sarah's side of the story? That we want to press in, we want to walk by faith as long as God gives me what is impossible. As long as I see the fruits of God's faithfulness right now, here now, in my life, I get to see it, hold it, laugh about this baby that's in my arms. We want the results of Sarah's faith. We don't want the results of Abraham's faith. But may I press in that they are the exact same story. Faithfulness is not dependent on the result. Faithfulness is dependent on you picking up your foot and taking that first step and trusting God with the results. Because if we don't get them now, we'll get them in eternity. And what a far better place to get them. So church, here's, here's my question. As we land the plane, one simple question. Are we walking in faith? Are we walking in faith? Are we following after our ancestors? Or is the voice of God still ringing in our ear as we're walking after what he's called us to do? Are we laughing 
Are we borderline mocking what God says but still doing it anyways? There's no way this is going to work. Let's go try. Are we pursuing that? Are we doing that? Are we playing it safe? Are we sitting back, playing it safe, not thinking of the eternal perspective, but only merely focusing on what's right here in front of us? Church, we must not imagine, we must not imagine that we have faith if we do not obey. We must not imagine that we're walking in faith if there's no fruit of that, if there's no tangible proof that we heard the voice of God and we did it. We shall not pretend that we're walking in faith. Abraham was a pilgrim. Abraham always felt uncomfortable with where he was. And my prayer for us is that we would walk in faith so much so that this would never feel comfortable or at home for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the examples that you set before us. Thank you for the by faith examples that we get to see, examine, study, and be encouraged by our ancestors. Father, we're so encouraged to see how quickly, how quickly, even with your voice still ringing in his ear, Abraham heard and started walking. Father, would you give us that faith? Father, we're encouraged to see how Sarah, even though it was humanly impossible to do what you did, she believed your promises and walked in it, that she heard your voice and and she believed it. And she got to see the fruit of that faith. And so, Father, my, my prayer for us this morning is, would you encourage, would you bolster our faith? Father, would we today step out in faith on what you've asked us to do? Would we clearly understand your word, understand who you are, understand eternity-focused mindset, and then start walking? Start stepping. Would we examine our own hearts and our own lives to see where are we too comfortable? Where does the earth feel too much like our home? Where do we feel most secure? And if that answer is not in you and you alone, Father, would you reveal that to us? And will we start walking in the obedience that you've laid out before us? God, would we be called the faithful ones? who heard your voice, who loved you so much that when you asked us to walk, we did. And not only that, that we ran. We took you at your word and did exactly what you said. Father, would we be the faithful ones? Not for our sake, Father, but for the world, for those that are watching that need hope, that need encouragement, that need you. Father, would we be an example, would we shine a light for them so that they may know that we can only do this, we can only walk in obedience because of what your Son has done for us. That through his death, burial, and resurrection, you've given us a new heart. You've taken out the heart of stone, given us a heart of flesh. You've put the Spirit inside of us so that we can hear, so that we can understand. And now, because of that truth, we can walk in obedience. Would we share that message everywhere we go? by faith would we think about the people in our lives that are incredibly far from you 
the ones that we think it would be laughable if they would actually come to church with us or come to faith in you. Those are the ones that you've called us to pursue. By faith, would we walk in that? Father, would we sit and rest and examine where we are and what the next step of faith looks like for us? church, let me implore that if your relationship with God feels stale, that it feels stagnant, that you don't feel like you've heard from Him or you're growing in Him, my challenge for you would be go back to the last thing God has asked you to do and do it. What has God been leading you into Perhaps maybe there's a staleness there because he's still waiting for you to step out by faith and walk in obedience to him. Father, as we, as we sit, as we close this time of preaching, my heart cannot stand the fact that you are a God that speaks to us. Now that stirs up so many emotions and excitement in me that you're not a God that disappears, you're not a God that doesn't love us, that doesn't care for us, but you love us so much so that you give us your word, that you speak clearly to us, that you desire a relationship with us. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that loves us, that's made a way for us when there was no way. So thank you. Thank you that you are the faithful one that we get to build our lives around. Father, would you give us the faith to start walking in obedience? It's your name that we pray. Amen.